are listening to the Ivy Entrepreneur Podcast from the Pierre L. Morissette Institute for Entrepreneurship at the Ivy Business School. In this series, Ivy Entrepreneur and Ivy faculty member Eric Jansen will anchor the session. Are entrepreneurs born or made? I don't know if we'll ever get a definitive answer on that question, but I can tell you that my guest on this episode of the Ivy Entrepreneur Podcast was dead set on starting his own business for as long as he can remember. As soon as he could walk, he was wandering the floors of his dad's printing company, which was passed down from his grandfather. And before he even got to university, he had a series of entrepreneurial ventures under his belt. Bobby B. Zant, the co-founder of Iconic Brewing, is the entrepreneur behind ready-to-drink brands like Dusty Boots Hard Root Beer, which is a category they created in Canada, Cottage Springs Vodka Sodas, and Cabana Coast Moscow Mules. But before Bobby successfully launched Iconic, he took a whole bunch of swings. He ran student businesses, scrub boats in cottage country, and even successfully pitched a new alcohol concept on Dragon's Den. Twice. In this episode, we cover Bobby's founding story, why he chose an atypical career path, how to use age to your advantage, and his biggest advice to his 20-year-old self. Enjoy this episode with Iconic Brewing co-founder, Bobby Bizant. All right, let's get things fired up here. So I'm here with Bobby Bizant. How are you? I, Bobby, have never been happier. How are you doing? I <laughs> couldn't be better. We're going to go through a little bit about your story today, your entrepreneurial journey. So I actually want to start, if you don't mind, with a little bit about you as a human and yeah. understanding a little bit about where you grew up, how you were influenced, um, and where the heck these entrepreneurial inkling, inklings may have come from. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's something that, I mean, as far back as I can remember, I've been just interested in business. And I mean, I think a lot of it was influenced by my by my dad initially. Um, I mean, even when I was like, not even in double digits yet of age, we were talking about businesses. He would get me fired up about an idea that was like, I think back to now and it's like, no one's going to buy that, but he would get me fired up about stuff and just was always putting little, little nuggets out there. And I mean, from a very early age, he was kind of thrown into the business world as well. So there was kind of really three generations involved. There was a, a business that his father had originally, originally bought that was struggling and, and, and then he ended up passing away very young at 48 years old. And then my dad had to leave university at the age of 19 or 20 and, and kind of jump into the driver's seat of this failing uh, business. It was in the paperboard manufacturing, making boxes for consumer packaged goods companies for the most part. And I mean, the big opportunity that he saw and, and grasped, grasped onto, which ultimately made him successful in the end was uh, right at the beginning of the private label kind of transformation in North America when President's Choice started coming out and No Name and that and that kind of stuff. So, I mean, I grew up around that, went to the office office with him every weekend, walked around the plant, sat in his office, printed off thousands of pages of nonsense for, for whatever reason. I just always enjoyed kind of the the vibe of, of being in a company and kind of the, 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 the environment, the magic of the environment. So, I mean... Literally, as, as long as I can remember, there was nothing else I wanted to do in the world besides be an entrepreneur, be in business. So yeah, it really just comes through the bloodline. I mean, even an interesting little quick anecdote. This week, I actually met up with a lawyer who has met now three generations of my family, my grandfather, who I never even met, my dad, and now me, and kind of seen the journey throughout kind of 50 years of of our entrepreneurial family. Does he say anything like you look like, sound like, <laughs> look like, act like, anything like that? Or uh, I mean, yeah, I, I definitely have like kind of definitely some tendencies um, that came came from my dad. I mean, I've I like to have a good time and like to joke around. And, I mean, I think I'm a little better looking, but yeah, no, he 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 just thought it was it was it was kind of neat. And I mean, I'd actually never met him before. But uh, it was it was kind of cool just to just to sit down and and kind of hear some stories from like way back in the day when when he was involved with like my grandfather who I mean sounds like a, a cool guy from everything I've heard. So he's dealt with three generations or had the privilege of working with three generations of Byzants. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> cool. Cool. So unlike a few others, including myself, I mean there wasn't a whole lot of entrepreneurs in my family. I think it was 
for me it was driven more uh, like an interior inside motivation mm-hmm. for you it sounds like you saw something that you liked about the way that your dad was or the life that he had or the excitement or the buzz around entrepreneurship and that's why you knew that you wanted to do it like what about it got you yeah i mean he just he just always seemed so kind of passionate about about everything like he he could work 80, 80, 100 hours a week, kind of no problem just because he loved it. And I mean, just kind of seeing as much as I was young going going to the, the plant and everything, I just, I could see kind of the, the magic of it being done. And I mean, I've asked him to tell stories over and over and over again, kind of just about his his journey. And I mean, as much as he was not in, not in a new world business, it was paperboard manufacturing. I mean just to see someone kind of work towards being the absolute best in, at what they do was pretty cool. So kind of, I've always kind of wanted to try and do that as well in my career. Cool. That's neat. So then you, I guess as a child, you had these entrepreneurial ambitions, which is really cool. And then you went to Western. Yeah, I went, I went to Western. I mean, even before that, I had a few little businesses in the summer in high school and whatnot. Little side hustles or some side hustles, yeah. Actually, one of them, or the vast majority of them, were with my current business partner Cam. We we actually met working on a gas dock in uh, in cottage country. Gas dock, like yeah, filling up boats. Oh, um, gas 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 dock, dock. yeah, gas dock. Got it. Filling up boats. Back Is that a Canadian in... thing? A gas dock? <laughs> I don't know. It's a cottaging thing. Cottaging I got a marina, thing. I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we would. Uh, our day job was filling up boats, but we were always trying to figure out little side hustles that would, I mean, a earn us some extra money. So we were doing, we were doing boat detailing. We were doing property management. We were doing landscaping kind of up in cottage country. We kind of also used it as a, a platform to meet a bunch of interesting people that, I mean, we, we thought we saw as quite successful so i mean we use it as a as a networking opportunity as well kind of back in high school and i mean kind of using your age when you're young to to get in front of some cool people is is a huge asset for sure smart i worked at a private golf club Mm -hmm. and sort of viewed it as the same thing there's a bunch of these members that are there because they've done something right yeah and if i could try to pick their brain here and there for nuggets like what what is it what do you do you're driving up playing golf three days a week and you're pulling up to a nice car wonder what this guy does and asking him some questions about that yeah well still still to this day some of those guys that we met will still call up on occasion and either get together for a drink or i mean some of them they've even they've almost been investors for us at, at, at periods of time too and just never know in, in different projects we're gonna undertake yeah no you you never you never want to burn a burn a relationship i mean you always want to always want to treat everybody you meet as, as good as possible because you never know. You never know. Speaking of, you and I met when you first went to school here. So I was teaching at Western at the time, first year of business. Yeah. I uh, came that's at, where you and I met. Yeah. I came in as a as a young, naive first year. Sure. Um, didn't really know, didn't really know what to expect. But uh, I mean, from the get-go, business was naturally my my favorite class and i mean i think you made it that much more exciting because you had a lot of great stories to tell as well i mean like a big chunk of business is just being able to story tell in order to make people relate to it versus just regurgitating stuff out there so i mean that yeah that's how we met and i mean i uh we've kind of kept in touch a little bit over the years. So, uh, it's kind of funny how things come full circle. And I mean, what is it? Nine ish years later, 10 yep. years later now yep. I'm sitting back here. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm, tr- I'm trying to learn from you now. I'm on the, the, the tables have turned. This is, uh, this is really, it's cool. It's cool for me to be on the other side of it. So, and I, if mm-hmm. I remember just to touch on for a second in class, you were, you're a good student, but I wouldn't say you were one of the most outspoken students. I wouldn't say you were people have this perception of entrepreneurs as being you know boisterous and loud and i wouldn't say you're not at all shy but i wouldn't say Mm -hmm. that you were you know one of the people in the class that were particularly loud or i don't know i did does that yeah i mean for me like when i'm in a when i'm in a situation where i mean i know i'm not the the smartest person in the room or i don't have the most knowledge in the room i prefer to listen I mean, in a classroom setting, 
there's a ton of different perspectives obviously around the room then there's the the prof i actively try and listen more than i than i talk and i mean i try to when I, when i talk i try to make the words kind of count versus just kind of talking to hear my own voice um as pretty as it is um i uh i definitely prefer kind of listening and kind of trying to synthesize the conclusion in my head based off of everything that i hear i mean i mean i think to some degree i think i at times i need to talk i need to speak up more but i mean for me listening has helped me kind of learn all sorts of things and uh yeah so it's just, cool that's yeah. no, it's a good anecdote i think people have this perception that entrepreneurs are a certain way and i think they all come in different flavors and types and sizes and yeah no i mean i, I think finding like a good balance like obviously someone who's overbearing it's uh it kind of gets hard to be around someone like that too much. And then someone who's too quiet and it's hard to hold a conversation with. It's it's too much on the other other end of the spectrum. I like to just have like good, healthy back and forth dialogue where you can learn a little bit from me. I can learn a little bit from you. Yeah. And we'll get into it a little bit later, but coming off as not shy, I mean, it didn't stop you pretty much. If we measured talk time when you were on Dragon's Den twice, you spoke up probably more than anybody else. So it's not like you're a shy person. <laughs> No, I mean, I would say, like, I mean, I would actually say I'm I'm more introverted than extroverted. However, when I'm in a when I'm in a scenario that kind of requires kind of presentation, you almost you almost put on this, I don't know, not alter ego, but you're acting in a sense to present in a way that projects confidence and that in that you know what you're talking about. Um, and when you do know what you're talking about, it makes it that much easier to to do that. So, I mean. Make, making sure you're prepared for any sort of kind of presentation, whether it's on Dragon's Den or in front of a buyer is, is, is critically important because other than that, it would be either talking in circles or, or not talking at all. But yeah, no, I, I, I enjoy presenting, but it was, it was certainly like public speaking, I would say was more of a fear of my own when I was younger than it is now. Cool. Cool. So yeah. let's get into, I, I do want to get into Dragon's Den here in a little bit before we get there. So when you were... Uh, we met when you came to Western. You then went to Ivy. And in HPA 2, we do a project that I'm actually teaching now called New Venture Project. Mm -hmm. So in this project, students come up with, not ideas, they come up with problems to address with specific ideas or solutions. Mm -hmm. And they put it into a essentially a business plan. So you participated in the New Venture Project. I did, yeah, unsurprisingly. Unsurprisingly. <laughs> uh, you had an idea that you brought forward for the new venture project can you tell me a little bit about that process what the idea was or what the what the problem was that you identified and a little bit about that project for you because you have a, an interesting story that's going to lead to my questions about dragon's den yeah well i so i mean thinking thinking back to kind of how the new venture project went for me it started off as an ideation session so like there's a couple few people in in the group or whatever and we all kind of threw all sorts of ideas out there and i mean ideas are very abstract when you just throw them out there it's hard to really know if one's going to go anywhere and kind of one night i had this very university student oriented revelation when i was when i was at a friend's house having a few drinks before we were going to go out later i noticed a lot of people were bringing uh, kind of a full bottle of alcohol, a full bottle of mix, and the vast majority of the time, kind of a lot of that was left behind. So I had this concept that if you could make a two-compartment bottle that separated the alcohol from the mix, not only would it allow the, the person to have both, be able to purchase both at the same location, because in Ontario, you're buying vodka you have to buy the lcbo then you have to go over to the convenience store it'd be more convenient to carry for the person but it would also create a new a new experience for 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 the customer as well having the basically basically becoming your own kind of bartender and mixing mixing your own higher-end cocktails and the idea of separating them out we were using we would use real fruit juices versus all the artificially flavored other stuff that was on the market at the time so that was kind of the germ of the idea to improve the pre-drinking experience for the university student with a cool concept. And I ended up 
pitching that to my group as a potential idea. And I mean, given the stage of life we were all at, all at, at the time, it seemed, it seemed like a, a home run idea. So we actually ended up pitching it to, uh, to the, to the new venture project, I guess, prof at the time, and then waited for his feedback on whether he thought it was a good idea or not. And he ended up coming back to us shortly after. And he had two main, two main pieces of feedback. One being the LCBO is incredibly difficult to get into, work with, expensive. The chances are very low of, of getting a product in there. It's just, it's, it's, it's too hard. The other being commercializing a very customized package and product was going to be very expensive and difficult. So he ultimately canned the idea and told us that we needed to come up with something else for, for the new, for the new venture project, which we did, which was actually a pretty cool idea too. And it could have been a fun one to explore as well. So to rewind for a second, so you you got in a room with your group, mm-hmm. tried to come up with a bunch of ideas. Yeah. Too abstract. Yeah. And then you went to a party. Yeah. And in your own experience, experienced a problem. Mm-hmm. And that then led to the idea. Of, of Sage. Of yeah, Sage. The, the two compartment bottle. And I mean, I think, I think a lot of the kind of the best ideas, they come more from experience than just sitting in a chair and hoping that something hits you in the in the face i mean even some of the biggest companies in the world now uber airbnb they were all started with a a simple pain point that uh the founders had so i think the more you can get out there when you're trying to ideate is is probably better than just all sitting in a room and hoping something miraculous comes to you um, or even a lot of great companies are started by people who did work in another business and noticed a niche opportunity that no one just sitting in a chair could have ever come up with themselves because they weren't involved in that space. So yeah, yeah. So that's that's great advice. I mean, get outside the building. You can you can have a hunch towards an idea, but I think getting validation, especially when you're we call it scratching your own itch. Yeah is is good that's good advice mm-hmm. so when you first got it going so i'm, I'm gonna stay stay on sage for a second so it got rejected from the prof which is interesting it got rejected yeah how did you decide who you were going to focus on with that specific idea with sage how did you how did you decide that this was a product for a specific segment of customer well i mean sage i mean in my mind the target demographic was was that university student. I mean, it was almost like I was somewhat creating a product for kind of myself because I, I kind of did the same thing that I was I was witnessing or people were kind of leaving <laughs> half, of, half of what they brought behind when they went to the bar. So, I mean, I'd say I was creating a product for myself and then also, I mean, creating it for my friends that were around me. That's great. Um, so you, you didn't come up with an idea and figure out who would this be best for. You experienced the problem yourself and you thought, I know this better than anybody. This is for us. This is for the, the university student. Yeah. I mean, it, it kind of came from, I mean, witnessing the problem and, and trying to put a solution to it versus coming up with the solution and trying to backtrack and find the the problem for that particular solution. So, I mean, this is a, the Sage bottle, is, it's always, it's a relatively simple concept, but I think diving deep in, into whatever problem you're trying to solve or whatever little inkling of an idea that you have is the best way to is to really is the best way to find a real sustainable product both from creating it as well as producing it and marketing it if you do all the right steps in preparing leading up to it you should have a pretty good idea whether you're going to fail or succeed and easier when it's something that you don't hate doing yeah, exactly. I mean, in that, in the Sage case, it was, I mean, kind of doing what you love in university. <laughs> not, not that I could condone either way uh, to each their own, but yeah, I mean, doing something that you you did socially was something that you, yeah. you know, you, you knew well. So the prof made a good point. The ecosystem in that case was a huge challenge. I'm going to come back to that because the LCBO, at least in Ontario, is a massive barrier for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Ton of competition yeah. in the 
alcohol space with big budgets. Mm -hmm. And so how did you even, if we fast forward now to post new venture project, you somehow come back to Sage. So you must have not liked the idea that you did for the new venture project. And then you ended up coming back to Sage. Well, I would say like I was kind of working on, on both kind of concurrently after it got denied as a, as a, as a project idea, a friend of mine who had had, had a few other little businesses with growing up was actually in, in London that weekend visiting his girlfriend at the time. And he came to my, my, my room, my, at my student house. And I kind of pitched him the sage idea to see what he thought and, and to see if, if, if it was something that he maybe wanted to kind of join in on the journey with. And I mean, he was at the same stage of life as me and he, he saw that it, it could be a really kind of unique transformative product for the, for kind of the alcohol industry and how people kind of consume drinks. So we started, this was at, I guess we had to start coming up with ideas the end of third year, I think it was, or beginning of fourth year. That's right. Yeah. So we kind of tinkered with this idea of this two compartment bottle for, we had another year of school left to tinker with, with this thing and try and understand the feasibility of it. A lot of research quote unquote to do. Yeah. I mean, a lot of research in terms of, I mean, we didn't know anything about like the alcohol industry besides how to, how to buy it. And we didn't know anything about the packaging industry in terms of plastic bottles. I mean, my family history is more on the cardboard side of things, not the bottle side of things. I mean, I did, I will say I did get some warnings from my, my dad that customized packages are, are, can be quite expensive, but I think I was just a little too, maybe a little too strong headed mm. in, uh, in saying that, no, it can be done and it actually, it can be done. We did pull it off, but, uh, so hold on before you get to what, <laughs> what happened there. So you graduated, you made the decision to not do the traditional thing, which is go get a job. Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of, well, pretty much everybody in 90, probably 99% of, of the graduating class, um, went off and, and got different jobs and a multitude of different fields. But I mean, I, I just had this again, undepressible drive to try and start a business. And I'd been like waiting my whole life to essentially kind of do this for real. All the other little businesses I had kind of growing up were just like little side hustles, little projects here, little projects there. Um, practice, practice for the, the practice, main event. practice. Yeah. But this was kind of like the opportunity where, I mean, we could go for it. We have really nothing to lose at this point in time, or we could go off and get jobs and potentially get comfortable and in, in that scenario and not have the desire to do it five or 10 years down the road. I want to tease that out for a second. So a lot of students that I'm in front of now think about, you know, if I don't get my first, if I don't get the internship this summer, yeah. if I don't start off in whatever industry, if I don't start off at whatever company, I'm screwed. I'm in, you know, I'm in a bad place. What would your message to people who don't get their dream internship right off the bat be? I would say stay patient stay curious and keep searching because pretty much everyone that I know that graduated and maybe a, a, a chunk of them got their dream job. They are no longer at that dream job anymore. Um, because they just realized it, it wasn't their, the be all and the end all. They, they like the romanticize whatever that career was without understanding all the kind of underlying stuff that goes into it. I mean, for me, I mean, I coming from a kind of an entrepreneurial background and family, like I knew it wasn't, wasn't going to be pretty at first. I knew we were not going to make a lot of money. We were going to be like living on scraps to start. You expect, you expected the chaos, the crazy, yeah, I mean, ramen noodles, whatever. Yeah. Like, like one of the, uh, the kind of pieces of life advice we, my friend Cam and business partner Cam and I got when we were working one of these odd job companies up in up in cottage country from a successful guy up there is happiness is equal to expectations over reality. So keep your expectations low or lower and 
you'll end up being a lot happier than if you have these wild expectations and expecting the reality to, to catch up. Got it. I love that. It's good advice. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we kind of knew that we knew what we were getting into by doing this. And I mean, we tried to start the company really lean. So it wasn't like we went out and, and raised a bunch of money and got, got comfortable salaries. We didn't make any money for but, the first couple of years. But hold on. You, you, you did start lean, but you were, so in 2015, you actually appeared on Dragon's Den for the first time mm-hmm. with Sage. Can you maybe walk us through that experience? So yeah, after we we, we fully decided we were going to go ahead with the with the Sage concept out of university, we uh, continued to tinker with the idea and try and pull it together. Uh, kind of another just little funny story is our first prototype was a hand-blowing glass bottle in bottle i think it cost us a thousand dollars and we were it was 333 bucks a piece and we didn't have much more than that we actually gave it to a friend to take some pictures for us that we were going to use to help try and pitch investors it fell over and broke so <laughs> that prototype our first broke. prototype and then we discovered 3d printing and we actually started 3d printing back in the back then yeah, we started wow. 3D printing prototypes after that. In 2014, 15. Mm-hmm. I guess that's it's become fairly common now, but that was early enough, early-ish. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're not super cheap either, but I mean, you can get like one that at least proves the concept, not maybe not pretty, but for 150 bucks, something like that. So yeah, we started 3D printing after that. We realized glass was not the way to go. Yeah. So how did you get... Did one of you apply to be on Dragon's Den? So, yes and no. So we 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 did know, we kind of knew who one of the pro, like producers was there, and we kind of reached out to ask about the process of how could we get on the show and 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 whatnot. And she kind of told us that like, oh, you have to apply and you have to go through, kind of jump through these hoops. You got to pitch to the producers first. Generally, we were able to basically finagle our way in so we didn't even have to do the audition step and just go right to the live shows skip the audition we basically skipped wow. we skipped the audition yeah basically because the, the, this producer kind of knew what we, we were already about and, and thought we would make an entertaining story um, to put out there so we but typically yeah you, you apply you have to audition to the producers then they cut it down whether they like you or not and then you go to the I guess the taping shows after that. So, I mean, the first time we showed up, we didn't really know what to expect. I mean, we'd obviously seen the show a bunch of times on TV. I mean, for me, like the experience, it was actually a lot more like a real business negotiation than I expected it to be just based on how they kind of cut and edit the pieces. They make it seem a little bit more showy show businessy but you really dig into the into the nitty-gritty and i mean you they can make you look like an idiot pretty quick if uh, i'll put the uh i'll put the link in the show notes here but, yeah but you so that when they cut to behind the scenes and it's the three of you negotiating in the back room that's real time legitimately talking through yes. whether you're going to take the deal yeah so you're there for i think we were there for about an hour it's fast, actually. Yeah, an hour, maybe an hour and a half. I mean, we'd been able to connect with a couple of the people that had pitched on it before, and they kind of gave us some tidbits in terms of how to make the the, the pitch go as smoothly as possible in front of them. So like, we were well well prepared. It kind of comes back to the the preparation point. And but yeah, it's it's all it's all live time. There's no like cut this that. It's a full kind of one hour shot. hour and a half taping. One shot. If you get offered a deal, generally it's it's good to generally it's good to take a deal no matter what and and work on actually closing it behind the scenes because I mean like like any deal in business, um, all the ones that I've been involved in trying to negotiate, they all sound great when they first start and a fraction of them ever actually close for for one reason or another. All right. So you guys did really well actually. There wasn't seemed like from the very beginning, d- despite the fact that you would call this a a first world problem, right? Mm -hmm. Like this wasn't, we talk about in our classes, a 
gushing neck wound, which is a very visual. Yeah, it's a visual. I remember that term. Gushing yeah. neck wound. It sticks with everybody. They and they talk about it's the big burning problem that you really need to dig into and think about. Um, mm-hmm. And I w- I would say that at least from my perspective, this isn't a gushing neck wound. No. But at the same time, <laughs> when you pitched, every single dragon was nodding their heads. Like everyone was into it. There was mm-hmm. nobody that thought this is ridiculous, you know, not a good idea. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was interesting. Ultimately, so you did do a deal on that show. Arlene came on as a partner, uh, or or, sorry, invested. Well, we didn't actually close the deal with her. Um, But on the the show, you did the deal. On the show, on the show, we did the deal. It didn't close because we had actually just raised a little bit of seed capital before we finally got to pitch on there so it just the timing wasn't right got it um but she was she was very active in in trying to invest but one of our other investors that had come on also had a marketing agency mm. so it didn't make sense to have two of those in in the investor group but no she was she was great and very very active in trying to close the deal but the timing just kind of didn't work cuz you can't really you can't you can't wait to raise money for your business just just to go on Dragon's Den and, and try and raise it. So, right. I mean, the financing round just happened to close a little bit before we actually got there. To You never know when it's going to close. you got to have yeah, a bunch of irons and, in the fire. And take the money when it's available right. because investors see so many opportunities. If they're excited about yours, do everything you can to close it because if you sit on it, they might be already onto something else by the time you, you circle back with them. Right. Like this is sales sales 101 if it's hot close on it or yeah there's a friend of mine rory capern who used to be used to run twitter canada he's now at pelmer x media or the weather network he says his dad's favorite saying was make hay while the sun is shining so if the money's there jump yeah. on it while it's there always be closing always be closing okay so you on the show accepted didn't end up taking uh, that deal didn't end up closing you explained why mm-hmm. but you came back on dragon's den in what year this was so 2015 was the first show 2015 was when it aired but we would have taped it in 2014 you tape it it a long time before it it. airs okay and then i think the next time we would have taped in 2016 and aired in 2017 got it i think so then you sage was no longer sage was gone so yes kind of the kind of to close the loop on sage I will give the the prof that turned the idea down one half of the win, whereas commercializing a customized package, very expensive and difficult to do, especially especially for a inexperienced team when it comes to customized packages. But on the other hand, the LCBO, what the Sage product did for us is it pretty much opened the door to every liquor board in Canada because everyone we took it to was like, wow, we love it. So it really, it served as a relationship building tool with all these different liquor boards. And it's really kind of what kicked things off on the right foot for us from the get-go. And since then, we've had one of the best strike rates in terms of getting new products in. Awesome. So he was right, to be fair. He was right. I'll give him the win. But as is often the case, the first idea is rarely the idea. And it you listen to feedback, you develop some relationships, and that turned into the new company Mm -hmm. which at the time was iconic yeah so kind of repositioning the company i guess we 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 didn't want to stick with a name that was also related to a product that we were no longer selling so we kind of decided to rename the the company with kind of the overarching mission and vision to build the iconic canadian company and the next kind of great beverage alcohol company in in the canadian industry and specifically in the ready to drink cooler space because at the time four or five years ago the space was pretty much just full of the old boring competition call it the smirnoff ices of the world and which of, became just a joke icing somebody like yeah did anybody I mean, really drink them it was just kind of a joke thing it certainly pushes a lot of sales with that icing icing joke but uh yeah it was just full of these old kind of products that um weren't terribly exciting so we kind of focused on trying to usher in the more craft side of the of the ready to drink cooler space as it was already exploding in in beer and 
wine obviously there's a lot of crafts producers and kind of the next area that made sense for us was the the ready to drink market um the other nice thing about the ready to drink market is well it's a blessing and a curse you can gain traction very quickly with a new product but it can also disappear quite quickly as well <laughs> at it so you were on dragons and you pitched iconic and the brand at that time was how many products so the focus of that pitch was on dusty boots so at the time of the taping we had just launched in alberta i believe kind of the first alcoholic hard soda in canada um, we had we had launched it in in alberta and kind of sales had just taken off out of the gate it was really an unbelievable it was truly like a hockey stick growth curve kind of that year we experienced basically 500 percent growth in in top line revenue of the company so it was a mba in cash flow management supply chain oh, management yeah. <laughs> yeah. All the, all managing the expectations yeah it was it was it was a fun it was certainly a fun experience um at the time was there anything like this in canada there wasn't a alcoholic hard soda in canada no okay. But so this was the first of its kind. This is the first of its kind. The industry's very quick to react now, though. So um, you get a lot of a lot of people that follow afterwards. But at the at the time, it was first of its kind. And I mean, even the story of how we ended up on Dragon's Den the second time was a little bit unusual. We again didn't audition. They actually had called us up and and said that one of their groups had, had dropped out for their for their last day of taping. Again, we weren't looking for money really at the time. And they asked, well, we, we liked your pitch the first time around and we thought it was entertaining. Would you guys like to come back for the second chance show? Because we technically didn't close the deal the first time around. Um, so we had to think about it for a little bit actually because a direct competitor of ours, she was on the panel, the Minhas Brewing family. Who she was right away the only one that was like, nope, don't like the taste, I'm out. Yeah, I mean, I'll just leave it at a difference of opinion between sure. between her and us. I mean, yeah, I'll just I'll, everyone I'll, else was into it. I'll I'll leave it there. She had a competing product in market. Right. It tastes. That, I mean, it tastes like it should. It tastes like alcoholic root beer. I didn't think if it's sweet, it's because maybe root beer is sweet. Yeah. So like her her whole market's Alberta. We launched in Alberta first. We were whooping her butt pretty good in in Southrue. It was about four to one at the time. Yeah. Well, so then, yeah, I sense. mean, yeah, there, she has a history of sure of it. Sure, <laughs> sure. So, um, so, yeah, so you went, you ended up uh, at the time it was Dusty Boots. Was there? Did you have another product? That, I mean, on the show, did you showcase another product? I think it was just Dusty I, Boots. It was mainly around Dusty Boots. I think we may have had. We may have had a cabana coast there, but we were there pitching like dusty boots. Primarily as, dusty as, boots. As, That's as where all the product. sales came from, all the numbers. At yeah, that that, that that was kind of our, our lead dog at that time. So we were we were riding that one. Yeah. So then you, you had two offers. This is like people try so hard to get on the show. You guys got on it because you got asked to get on it the second time. And then you got a, a second deal. So between uh, the few offers that you had in the first one, the few offers you had in the second, you ended up, you had Michelle and Joe who offered you almost what you asked for. Then you had Weck offer you kind of like a royalty deal until he got his money back and you took Weck's deal. Yeah. So, I mean, a little bit of strategy kind of going into, into the pitch. We kind of know, knew that we kind of knew that if you made a deal when, when you were there, it, it greatly improved your chances of, of, of getting on, of on TV. And I mean, we felt like Weck had kind of the the biggest personality there. And no equity. Wasn't asking and, for equity. And no equity. I mean, his deal was not wouldn't have been a great one for at the time we were growing incredibly quickly for the cash flow of the business, paying out I think it was a ten cent royalty per bottle. Per bottle. Frankly, would never have done that deal in a in a private boardroom, but from a strategic sure. standpoint of of the show business world, he seemed like the the right person to align ourselves with. But again, we didn't actually end up closing that oh, really? that deal either. No. Oh, okay. No. Okay. Both times we were there, and I mean the second time we got called twenty four hours before taping. Right. We didn't have any time to really prepare for it. We weren't. It wasn't the right time for us to bring on 
an, a new financial partner. And obviously you have to go back and do due diligence. And our current investor group just said it wasn't, it wasn't the right time. We didn't feel it was the right time. So we, we had to decline both, both times, but still great experiences nonetheless. Cool. So, yeah. Cool. Cool. So there's a couple other things we got to get through here in the next, uh, few minutes, but we're, we're coming to a close actually on the resources side. So there's a lot to figure out in businesses like this and we're I'm pointing at your products now. So we got a whole lineup of products here. We got dusty boots. We've got some seasonal dusty boots products. There's a couple other brand spinoffs that we'll, uh, we'll touch on maybe a little bit later, but there's a lot to figure out from manufacturing, marketing, distribution, and with limited budgets as a startup, like how did you not get deterred by all that? There's gotta be like overwhelm and oh my gosh, how's it going to work when we're up against these big people with comparatively unlimited budgets. Mm -hmm. How did you even get your head around everything that needed to get done? I mean, I think, I think you either have, you have to be either a little bit kind of naive or just a little bit crazy to think you can do it all on like a a shoestring budget and and make it happen. Um, I mean, on the, on the competitive side, like we knew we had a lot of other competitors out there, but they moved like the big guys, but they moved quite a bit slower. They weren't the taste makers. They were the taste followers. So we kind of felt if we could get a jump out ahead of them, we could have some success there, which, which we have on like the resource side manufacturing. I mean, it really comes, comes down to, I mean, if you don't have the skills in your immediate team, finding the right people to, to, who are willing to work with you and help you, um, in any sort of interesting arrangement, <laughs> however, <laughs> that, however, however, however it may, may work like free, free product, or if they like your story, I mean, I think starting young and, and using your, the fact that you are young as, as an asset to, to get services at a significant discount or, or for free at Whatever times works. is, is a good way to do it. So, I mean, it was a steep learning curve. Nonetheless, there was nothing linear about it. I mean, the first, the first like two and a half years were, were kind of very hectic trying to, trying to figure out how the whole industry works from a regulation standpoint, from a selling into the customer standpoint, to a selling to the end user standpoint, to manufacturing and managing supply chains and cash flows. It was just one, one grand experiment <laughs> that uh, we had background knowledge to try and manage, but um, until your ass is really on the line on the line you just find a way to make it happen when the stakes are high they that old adage burn the ships right when this you'd never know you never know how strong you are until being strong is the only choice you have and so in that case your back was against the wall it was like oh yeah we win or we go home yeah there was there's multiple times where i mean if we didn't get creative we could have gone out of business either from trying to grow too quickly or some other disaster out of our control takes place. We had to be very on the ball and, and aggressive and creative to, uh, to stay in business. <laughs> so something that you mentioned in the beginning, you had worked with your, so Dan, one of the partners played professional or semi-professional hockey from the Czech Republic. Yeah. He originally came to Canada to play hockey, played in the, the WHL, the, Western Hockey League. And your other partner was the one that you did all the Cam. businesses with. Yeah. So Cam Cam and I were working on the the gas dock from a our high school years. I don't know how old we were, probably 14, 15, 16, somewhere around there. And had a few little businesses along the way, whether it was landscaping to trying to do smartphone accessories whatever all sorts anything. of little all sorts of little businesses just because we were we just couldn't wait to try and try and do something so yeah so it's not like you three of you guys came from a background in beverages or the industry or anything like that and i think in your case a little bit of naivete probably went a long way the fact that you thought you had a chance against these big big dogs maybe maybe a maybe a good thing yeah i mean i i think i think having a little bit of naivety definitely helps 
Um, I mean, you can you can try and prepare as as much as you want, but one thing I've kind of found in in, in like this industry dominated by a few big players for the most part. Sure, there's a lot of sm- small suppliers out there now, but the big companies are really looking to the small companies to lead the innovation curve. And I mean, just anecdotally hearing from friends at work at these other companies, we've popped up in their internal slideshows multiple times. Yeah, I can imagine. So as long as you're as long as you're not following them and you're leading them, it's kind of like the elephant and the mouse thing. You can kind of run around and create a market for yourself and they try and catch up with you and and they can if you don't stay focused because they have the resources to just keep going at it year after year after year. But if you can get far enough ahead, multiple products that we've launched, these Molson or Labatt has come out with something kind of similar the next year. and much later. Much later and they're not on the market anymore. Right. right. So, so some interesting learnings there. I mean, the team that you were comfortable with, you had experience with a handful or at least one of your other co-founders before. Mm-hmm. Um, it sounds like you did a good job of plugging the gaps maybe in the la- experience or lack of experience that you folks had. Is that? Yeah. I mean, we, we certainly... We certainly tried to find kind of mentor relationships, I guess I'd call them, like early on in the industry. Um, I mean, not being afraid to reach out to people that are either higher up in the industry and different businesses that are related to yours and and trying to seek mentorship from them. I mean, we were very hands-on too, um, trying to learn as much as we possibly could. But I mean, we, we made a ton of mistakes in the, in the first little bit. There was a lot of, well, there there up until tomorrow and the next day after there's going to be always mistakes and failures that that are going to happen i mean as long as you i mean either have a plan b or you've made it so it's not betting the business a mistake is generally you're able to come back from it <laughs> cool so a few few left here while we uh while we try to wrap up <laughs> Update on where Iconic is today, because we're looking at a whole bunch of new brands here. So we've got Cabana Coast, we've got Cottage Springs that I know has seen some great traction. Um, Mm -hmm. Maybe just a quick snapshot update of where the brand is today. Yeah, so Iconic as a company, uh, we still have Dusty Boots uh, going strong in the hard soda space. Cabana Coast is kind of as more of our cocktail in a can brand. So higher end cocktails, Moscow Meals, we have a cucumber gin and tonic we launched. Um, and then Cottage Springs is more of our, I guess, call it healthier oriented brand where it's no sugar added, no carbs, 99 calories per can. And that area is seeing a lot of a lot of great traction right now as well. Um, in addition to our own brands, we built an agency business as well on the side. So we represent and sell other brands and products for for other companies Smart. Um, that are complementary to our own. We won't sell another hard root beer, for example, but couple craft vodka companies and Smart. and uh some other beer companies so it kind of makes our sales the sales side of our business more efficient and allows us to hire more reps as well Smart. and yeah i mean we almost got into the manufacturing space we didn't but uh yeah we're pretty much across canada the only, only provinces we don't have a big presence in yet are, are quebec and not as much in bc but every other province we've been we've been in for the last at least three three years and um, keep bringing new products to market every year. Awesome. Awesome. I got a few more rapid fire ones to ask you, but if people are looking online, how can they find either your brands, your products, where's the best place to find them? So, I mean, in terms of communicating to people, we do a lot of that on, on social media, Facebook, Instagram. We do have a website, iconicbrewing.co. Um, it confuses a lot of people. It was one of the dumber kind of communication mistakes that we made, but been .co. And yeah, if you, if you want to kind of see if, you, if the product's available close to you um, in Ontario, go to the LCBO website and just search it. A lot of the other provinces around Canada have kind of similar websites where you can search for the product. I mean, LCBO will deliver it to you now if you want, but but um, that hasn't really gotten a lot of traction yet. Cool. Cool. Okay. So a few more rapid fire things before we wrap up for good. Where do you do your best thinking? My best thinking has generally been done driving randomly enough. Time of day, morning, night. Pretty much any time of day, like driving in a car or even driving in a boat. And then I also just do like more deep thinking, like just 
on my own at the cottage sitting on the dock and super quiet with one of your own products in hand or? absolutely yeah of nice. course of course of course advice you'd give your 20 year old self if you could think back to you with new venture projects advice you'd give your 20 year old self i would say maybe just be kind of a little bit more patient and a little bit more focused on on setting the the foundation for 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 the business before just jumping right off the cliff i would say like there's there's definitely some learning lessons in there that if we took a little bit more time to either find the right person to help us with the with the problem or the project versus trying to do it ourselves yeah like that would be one i mean and i would say just just be patient because like good things they they take we we thought we were going to make an overnight success when we when we first started but things take at least five years 10 years 15 years 20 years it it takes a long time to to build something and 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 more take a more long-term perspective towards towards things you could do it all just not all at once yeah exactly and you can do it a lot better if it's done in a more structured manner got it last one here for you personally as an entrepreneur what is your superpower what are you better at than either your partners or most people i'm generally a pretty creative guy i come up with a lot of a lot of different ideas and i'm i'm, I'm pretty good at kind of seeing the the big picture of of uh whatever the the project or product might be cool that's good it's always someone to keep you on track who can see the big picture that's good yeah yeah i mean i I can see the big picture i sometimes get a little too a little too over the over the edge so i have my partners kind of ring me back a little bit which is is really in yeah exactly reel me in cool um but yeah cool bobby this has been awesome got a ton of good notes here uh got a lot of things to put in the show notes it's been really good to sit down and spend some time with you it's nice to catch up thanks eric it's great my pleasure you've been listening to the ivy entrepreneur podcast To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player or visit ivy.ca forward slash entrepreneurship. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.